the latest historical happy hour. Cheers. <laughs> um, good to see you. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm here with Reese Bowen. Welcome, Reese. I'm so excited to have you here. It's an honor. Oh, it's I'm, lovely to be with you. Yeah, so fun. I'm not only, um, you know, a fellow author, I'm also a huge fan. So um, I'm going to jump in with a quick intro, Reese, and then um, I have some questions for you. And then we will take questions from our lovely audience. So <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So Reese Bowen is the New York Times bestselling author of more than 40 novels, mind blowing, including The Victory Garden, The Tuscan Child and the World War II based in Fairly Field, the winner of the Left Coast Crime Award for Best Historical Mystery Novel and the Agatha Award for Best Historical Novel. 2021's The Venice Sketchbook was nominated for the Edgar Award for Best Novel of the Year. Bowen's work has over 20 honors to date, including multiple Agatha, Anthony, and McCavity Awards. A transplanted Brit, Bone divides her time between California and Arizona. Her latest novel is Where the Sky Begins, which is right here. New York Journal of Books says the writing is so smooth and consistent and the narrative unfolds so steadily, it's hard to look up from. And I agree. I loved this story so much. Um, so welcome, Reese. Good oh, to see you. Thank you, Jane. Thanks so much. It's fun. So fun. So, um, so this is a World War II story. The protagonist is jo Josie Banks, a London woman whose husband goes off to war, and she pretty much loses everything during the Blitz. Um, her home, her job, her belongings, um, and is evacuated to the countryside because she has nowhere to go and nowhere to live. What inspired you to write this story? Um, a couple of things. Uh, I, I was, you know, I've, I've written a few uh, World War II stories now, and they've been educated women who have, you know, who can survive on their own fairly well in life, um, and educated men too. And I thought, well, what if you weren't uh, equipped well to survive on your, what if, this is almost like a rebirth. Her house is bombed around her. She's pulled from the rubble with literally nothing. I mean, you know, not even yeah. a change of clothes. And I thought, in the war where so many people were bombed, if you didn't have family who took you in, what would you do? So I started thinking about that. And the other thing is I have my closest friend from college lives in that part of England and, uh, and very near those old World War II bomber bases. And it's so, it's so evocative, it's incredibly flat. It was one of these areas that was drained from the ocean long ago to make fields. And oh, so wow. it's actually below sea level. And you have like the dikes between the fields and you just see this incredible, huge sky. And that was really the metaphor for me that she's grown up in the east end of London with these little narrow streets and it's nearly always smoggy there. And I thought this is the first time she sees the sky. And so oh. that was, you know, what does she do? This is like the opening of everything for her. What does she do? Where does she go from there? So I wanted to show her growing as a person, you know, taking, taking little baby steps towards independence, towards her own vision of life. And by the end of the book, she's really developed and blossomed into that person she could have been. Yes, yes, absolutely. I loved her as a character. And um, so is she inspired by anyone? Because I loved her because she was, even at her worst, she was always hopeful. In the darkest, yeah. darkest times, she always had a positive, hopeful attitude, which I think is what helps 
get you through those times. And um, so how did you decide on who she was going to be as how did you decide on her as a main character? Um, Well, you know, the Cockneys are that they're the people of the East End of London are so resilient and funny. And, you know, they all they have a very tough life and um, they in spite of everything, you know, you find them smiling in spite of everything. And um, uh, so uh, my my father came from London. He wasn't a cockney, but he came from London and he had that sort of wicked sense of humor. He'd sort of give you a little sideways smile and <laughs> a, a nudge in the side, you know. And so, you know, I have a great warm feeling towards that. And um, uh, so I wanted her to be this uh, uh, a cockney woman who, in spite of everything that life has flown at her, is not going to, you know, I've got pictures from, you know, obviously I've written several books about World War II. I've amassed a huge library of, of press cuttings and pictures. And I think one that sums it up is a woman sitting on this huge pile of rubble and everything around her has been destroyed and she's got a cup of tea. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that just sums it up. I'm sitting yeah. here and having my cup of tea. I can get going. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's what, I, that's what I wanted. And also I wanted her to be someone who, you know, there are people like this who sometimes feel they've been born in the wrong place. You know, um, her family was the normal working class. Let's go out to work. Let's have a pint at the pub. And that's life. And she's always had this desire for something wonderful. You know, her father used to bring home, he worked on the railways, would bring home magazines that people left and she'd look over the fashion pages and, and the beauty pages and things. And she'd dream of all these lovely things. And of course, when she gets a chance to have them bit by bit by bit, she just cherishes it. So I think yeah. she's she's an interesting character. And of course, she's stuck with an awful husband. You know, she, oh. mar- <laughs> she marries him because the, he's a way out. You know, she there she is at home with younger brothers and sisters and a stepmother who doesn't want her but wants her money. Um, and so to find a way out with a guy who's got quite a quite a bit of money, as far as she's concerned, you know, that's mm-hmm. she's going to take it. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, he, the husband was a very terrible man. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, I kept thinking as I wrote it, you know, as you do, sometimes it's part of a story you know ahead of time, and other parts I kept thinking, can I kill him? When can I kill him? Could I kill him? That would be good. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's great. Yeah. So you mentioned that you have this like collection of research, and I was curious about that. Like, did you have to? Did you have kind of a lot of research already amassed from your other books that you could draw on, or did you have to do additional research for this one? Um, yeah, I did do mainly um, on uh, the part of England that I set this in. Went over and stayed. I did. I did the research before um, COVID struck, so oh. I went. I went over to my friends, and they took me to um, a, a former bomber base that's now a World War II museum. So I got oh. I got to sit in one of those big old bombers and look at the flight helmets and look at the parachutes and look at all that stuff. And they've got a collection of like letters home from young men who didn't oh. who didn't make it, whose planes crashed and things. And it really, you know, it brings it home to you. It touches you. This is really you know, the, the cockpits in those things are just so tiny. And you think you're in this for 10 hours at a time, you know, and um, so you, you know, you get a good feel for what it was like for those men and the fact that when they took off for Germany at night, half of them didn't come back. The life expectancy of a bomber pilot was about 50%. So when you signed up, you knew your chances were not too good. 
were not great. Yeah, that was unbelievable in reading that. You forget that. And they were so young. Oh, just unbelievable. And of course, I, you know, I have a connection in that I grew up after World War II. And in England, then we were still on rationing when I was a small child. Um, oh. And if you went to London, you would see these big piles of rubble everywhere that had been someone's home. Uh, so, you know, I was very aware of what the war felt like in many ways. So, I, you know, it's... And of course, your family talks about it all the time. I don't, you know, uh, and I had my father was in the services and so were my uncles. So I have a, you know, I think that's one of the reasons I want to write about it is we're getting close to the end of the generations that actually knew it. And yes. if we don't write about it now, it will be gone and people won't know. And I think it's so important because it was really the last time when we had this great feel of good versus evil. Yes. And, um, and the feeling that if we didn't stop evil, it would swallow up the world. So I think everybody in World War II had this great desire to do their bit to try and stop it. I, I totally agree. I think about that a lot. And I feel the same. My, my grandfather was a firefighter on the Navy ships um, off the coast of Europe in World War II. And, oh, wow. and I was very close with him. And I... Yeah. But, you know, and a lot of those guys were didn't share that much when they came back, but it's always oh, been uh, fascinating. I think we're losing a lot of that generation now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. most of it. Yeah. Um, I found the village and the characters, the cast of characters in the village in the English countryside so charming. And were the people based on people, you know, or was the village based on a particular village? Um, um well, I grew up. I grew up in a village. Um, oh yeah, and uh, in, yeah, I grew up in a village in Kent, actually. And um, you know, a small small place like that, you're always going to have the the idiosyncratic characters that you know the local characters, and you're yeah. always going to have you know the vicar's wife and all the people like that. And and the thing is, you know, most people, you know, oh, what yeah. everybody does. You say, you know, you you're going to the grocer's shop, and someone say, do you know what so and so is doing? Yeah, oh, are they really? You know, and it's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it's lovely. I we go every year. My my sister in law. Um, you know, I married into a very aristocratic family. So, my sister in law has this enormous house that we go and stay at every year. We were there last month, and um, uh, her local village. You go into that, and everybody talks to you, and every it's just it's a really nice, warm feeling that you know this is a place I could live, and I'd like it. Yeah, it's so funny. After I read the book, I was like searching like English village like countryside vacations because <laughs> it sounds so lovely I, have to, I i do frequent searches on cottages for sale in Cornwall. you know <laughs> right right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. very delightful <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um so josie when she is evacuated she's billeted at this grand home of an upper class woman miss harcourt she's um, a recluse, she's an unmarried, and she only lives with her housekeeper, Kathleen. Mm -hmm. And so these three women live together, and they're not only changed by the war, but they're changed by their relationships with each other over the course of the novel. And I love the dynamics, I love the humor. And so why did you decide these three characters at the center of the story? Um, well, I wanted, I wanted Josie to be put completely out of her element you know she's yeah. but then also to sit, be in a place that suddenly offered her things she could never have dreamt of you know she she sees the library there and when the when miss miss harcourt sees her immediately thinks she's trying to steal one of the books yes jo josie has always been dying to read more books and and when miss harcourt sees this i think that's the first chink in the armor because miss harcourt doesn't want her there 
And of course, you know, at the beginning of the book, she says to Josie, because Josie's quite badly injured when she goes there, you know, as soon as you're healed, we'll have to decide what your duties are. And that's that's when we see for the first time with Josie, she we see her spunk. And yes. she, she says, I don't mind helping out, but I ain't no servant. You know, yes. yeah. you're not going to tell me what to do. Um, so I think, you know, Miss Harcourt then takes a step back, like, what is this thing we've got? And of course, if she thinks <laughs> about it, Josie is going to change her entire life. You know, Josie is going to see what can be done and, and open up things for her and really, you know, make her life better. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Um, and to that note, this story has a little bit of everything. It has its friendship, its romance. It has a little bit of a mystery and some definite unexpected twists, which I will not reveal. Um, but I kept thinking as a writer, I thought it was so well plotted. And I was curious, um, you know, I always ask writers who come on, are you a plotter or a pantser? Do you plot your books out or do you write by the seat of your pants? Um, and I know our mutual friend, Hank Philippi Ryan, is a pantser, which I always find unbelievable. And uh, so yeah. what is your process like? Yeah, I'm pretty much a pantser too. I wow. am. Uh, in a big book like this, you know, it's it's so uh, you it's it, in a way it's linear. You know what's got to happen by the end of the book, or at least you hope will happen by the end of the book. And I knew the overall arc. I knew Josie and where she was going to go. And the whole thing that that drove it for me when I was writing it, my working title was the tea shop at the edge of eternity. Oh, nice. I yeah. love that title. And, and they shot it down. They went, no, 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 no. Lots of stu <laughs> stupid reasons. One was that on Amazon, the thumbnail, too many words, you can't read them. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. So that's one thing. Another was um, uh, the word tea shop will not, not attract male readers. Oh, interesting. Strange for me. But, uh, you know, so I fought for it for a while and they kept going, no, no, no. But anyway, that the whole thing was the tea shop. It, a, a tea shop changes Joseph's life at the beginning because that's the job she gets in London with um, with an expat Russian uh, woman who um, uh, who has used to a life of finery and Josie sees you can have a life of finery and yeah. then and then the fact that when she's with Miss Harcourt she finds this uh, airman standing by the fence and it's pouring with rain and he's got a flat tire on his bike and she invites him into the kitchen for a cup of tea and he looks around and he says to her this is like home yeah so and she, and she thinks you know they don't want they don't want to get drunk at the pub they want this tiny taste of home you know mm -hmm. some of these boys are 18 yes and so she thinks perhaps I could give them this taste of home and that's how really her life changes by doing that yes yeah absolutely um so this is one of those stories, and I get this question a lot. I was sad to finish it. I was reading it and listening it, to it on audiobook at the same time. By the way, the narrator was amazing on the oh, audiobook. Yeah, she yeah, did a yeah. great job. Um, yeah. And so I, I, always, I often get the question, like, when you're done, when you hit the end and the book's off to print, um, do you have a trouble letting go of the characters? Are you sad that it's, you're done? Are you happy and just ready to move on? Um, it depends on the book, I think. And some of some of these ones I, I've been I've been happy to let go. I mean, I'm glad to let her go because she's in a better place than she could ever have hoped for. And, um, you know, I think that Mike, who she ends up with, perhaps we shouldn't say that, but um, <laughs> uh, if, if you if you don't want to spoil it, then shut your ears for that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, she's in a good place at the end of the book and she's got 
a vision for the future and um, where I, I can't I don't know about you do you get letters afterwards saying you are going to write a sequel to this aren't you and I go no, I do. I do get letters like yeah. that. I, yeah. I always feel like when I'm done, I'm done. And, yeah. you know, like, and I'm yeah. happy. I mean, there have been some in Farley Field. I sort of left bits of the ending open because the, it was it was a multi point of view book. And um, we could have followed one of the characters into sort of espionage type things. Um, so that's still open. But um, most of the books, I like to put my people either in a good place or in a place that's satisfying at least for them I mean bad things have happened you can never go back and reconnect the past but a place where there is a future mm -hmm. and, then I, and then I like to walk away I don't want to do the sequel mostly yes, yes same same <laughs> I, I hear you yeah. uh, now you I mean you've written many novels is there any movie interest for this novel or any of your other novels um not this one there is um there's an option on the Venice sketchbook there's an option on In Farley Field. Oh, nice. uh, there is a TV, we're talking TV uh, with some people in England uh, for my, my first Constable Evans series set in Wales. As you, as you know, you get lots of these lovely nibbles and you think, oh, yes, and then it never happens. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> my, my, my whole, I've had several TV options and, and my, my theory is if I turn on the set and it's there, I believe it. Otherwise, otherwise I don't. But, That's uh, what I'm realizing. <laughs> but this is too soon. I think, you know, enough people need, need to have read a book before you get the, the option on it, usually, unless, think, yeah. it, unless it comes out with that great buzz, like, oh, this new book's coming out. But no, I mean, the Venice sketchbook would be lovely, I think, because I'd have to go and supervise in Venice when they were shooting it. I know, you'd have to <laughs> <submit that. laughs> Excellent. Um, I, I love the cover. I'm going to hold it up again. Um, is this what you envisioned as the cover or um, yes. and did you have a lot of say in it? Tell me about that. This was actually my cover. I mean, it was, wow. I said exactly what I wanted. I, I, um, the first one they did, because we talked about what the cover should be. And of course we tried some with the beautiful house in the flat countryside and things. And I said, it's too much like the cover of In Farley Field, which was the first book, which was, as you can see, which is a lovely big house in the countryside. Oh yeah. And um, so I said, no, you know, the whole story is about someone being bombed and then having to make a new life. Um, so they they came up with a bombing one, but it looked very dystopian, you know. So yeah. um, I, I I searched through all the old photographs and found that one with St. Paul's Cathedral in the background. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, I, and I thought that's so iconically, you know, we're London suddenly. Yes. Yeah. And, exactly. and so I said, can we use this? And then they chose the woman in red at the front, which is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it, really, it, really brings it all and the fact that if you look at it, the sky is slightly blue. Yes. Which yeah. is an, another brilliant thing that, I, you know, that I liked. So yeah, yeah, I was really happy. Yeah. That was lovely. Yeah, I really like it. I and I one of my questions was the, about the title. So we know that 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 was this was not your original title, but no, it, works, no. it works really well. I, we we went through an awful lot of titles. Either you get the title that's perfect to start with, and or else you um you know the Venice sketchbook. Nobody debated that at all. They just said yes, okay. Um, yeah. But um. We went through so many titles about the woman from London, the woman from the East End of London, the woman who was bombed, the woman, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, 
uh, and um, uh, you know the soldier's wife, the um, the nasty man's wife. We 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 tossed out hundreds of them, and then you know I thought, well, let's let's think what what the whole concept is, and the the, the concept is that she suddenly has gone from this narrow world to this very wide world. Yes. And, um, so I thought sky is an important metaphor in this whole book. So. Yeah, we came up with that and everybody liked it. So yeah, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a couple more questions and then it, I'm, I'm going to take questions from the audience. So just a reminder, if you have questions, you can put them in the Q&A or in the chat and I will um, ask them for you. So <laughs> what is your favorite part of the whole writing process and what is the part that you dread? Um, favorite part is probably writing the end. <laughs> Does that sound good? Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I love doing, or for these historicals, I love doing the research because the more you look into, the more you find and you go, oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, I, I usually do it in person. I normally go to the place. And uh, as I said, in this time, I was at this World War II museum and I talked to this one man who was a docent there who's passionate about World War II planes. And so you get a really good feel for things. The in Farley Field, I went to Bletchley Park and spent several days there. Nice. I spent um, quite a long time in Venice for the Venice sketchbook doing, I, you know, Venice is somewhere I know well anyway, but then for this, I knew what I wanted. So I would just, you know, seek out all the little things I needed. I love doing that part. The part I hate most is about the first 50 pages of every book. I'm really in flat panic mode, I think, because... <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't quite, as I say, I'm not a complete outliner. I can't look and go, oh, this is what's happening in chapter three. So um, I usually toy in my head for a long time before I start with um, the opening, probably the opening paragraph, the opening page. Do you do that? So you get exactly the opening you want. Yes. And, and then I start and then I always have this panic that, oh, it's going to be way too short. I'm going to say everything I want to say in 50 pages, you know, or else. <laughs> or, uh, or else, you know, or else it's, it, it's just not going to work out. Sometimes when I'm writing, you know, a lot of my books are mysteries. Like, oh, good, we're going to find a body on page 30 and then we're going to solve it by page 50. And we can all, you know, so <laughs> I, the first 50 pages, I'm always in this real stress mode and I snap at my husband and I stomp around and things. And then by page 50, I think, oh, maybe this is OK. And then by page 100, I think, oh, this is this is going along. And then after that, it's sort of just it. It has its own momentum and it goes, it, 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 you know, it's quite long, but it goes quite easily. I mean, the things with these books are there, you know, they're 400 pages. And so uh, it's quite a lot of work, isn't it? I mean, the mysteries are maybe 300, which is much, much easier. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a lot. I, you know, I, my, for me, it's the, um, that first draft is yeah. I feel like it's sometimes a slog. And then, and then yeah. like the rest of the process I really enjoy. And I love the research process. I yeah. think for Secret Stealers before the pandemic, my husband and I were able to go to Paris and that was just amazing. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. And it's lovely when you're actually knowing what you're looking for there. You know, yes. you, can, you can like like sit in a, in a cafe somewhere and just watch people go past and think, what am I smelling now? You know, oh, yes. what, what can I what can I see? What's that cat doing up on that rooftop? You know, all those little things that yes, really, yeah. really bring the book to life, don't they? You can always tell when you read a book when someone's actually been there. I think uh, that's very true. Versus yeah. someone has either read about it or has done a two-day tour through it, you know, because you can bring it to life when you've been there. And I just love that's that's my favorite part, I think. Yeah. Yes. And I think sometimes when you can feel really feel the setting, it becomes like with the village, 
it was almost like another character in and of itself. I felt like in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think, well, I think in any of these historicals, because it's a place people can't visit now, you have yeah. to you have to make it so vivid that they think, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm in that little village. I know what that's like. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Um, so did you always know you wanted to be a writer? Well, my mother tells me that I wrote my first poem when I was four. So I think probably oh. yeah, the answer is probably yes. I mean, I never thought of being a writer. I thought I'm somebody who writes. I think when I was very small, I spent most of my time in a world of, of a pretend. And then, you know, as I got older and found you couldn't sort of flit around being a princess half the time, uh, you know, I, I think the nice thing about being a writer is that you can live in this other world in your head all the time and nobody locks you up for doing it. So that's, that's the good thing. Um, so, I mean, I, I, yeah, I did want to be a writer. I was planning to be a journalist. And um, and then suddenly I, I, I saw on television once I saw. Um, a, someone interviewing a woman who'd come home and found that her husband had murdered their kids. Oh. And I thought, I couldn't do this. There's, oh, no, there's, yeah. no, there's no way I could. I know, you know, I'm a mutual friend, Hank. She was the first journalist on the scene at the Boston Massacre. Oh. And it really affected her afterwards. I thought, I could not do that. I, I don't do think that. that. No, no. So, yeah. you know, so... Um, I went into I went into the BBC. I was lucky enough to be accepted into the BBC and in BBC drama. And I was I'd worked on these fantastic plays. And while I was working on the plays, I found myself thinking, oh, if I'd done this play, I wouldn't have finished it this way. So uh, so I went home and I wrote my own play. And with the bravado of a 22 year old, I walked down the hall to the head of drama and I said, I've written this play. And he okay. And he called me in a few days later. He said, we really like this. We're going to, we're going to produce it. That's amazing. <laughs> so I've really been a um, professional writer ever since. So it's been what I've done. I went back to a college reunion uh, a few years ago. And this woman I hadn't seen since college, she said, so have you ever actually had a proper job? And I said, well, not not really, but my improper job has bought me two very nice houses and summers in Europe and put four kids through college. So that's all right. Pretty good. <laughs> You're doing all right. Yeah. 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 Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I know we have some aspiring authors in the audience and you have had a long and very successful career as a writer. What's the best advice you can give to writers who are just starting out, trying to get that manuscript done, trying to get published? Uh, well, I think the first thing that I would say is um, if you're a writer, you need to read. I'm really surprised when, you know, I'm, most of my stuff is in the mystery genre and someone will say, well, I plan to write a mystery one day. And I say, who are your favorite mystery authors? And they go, oh, I don't actually read mystery. How, you know, every, every book you read, you learn from, you learn how someone puts words together, paints pictures with words. And um, so obviously I think reading is number one. The other is writing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've found this, that people come up to you and they say, well, I plan to write a book one day. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, what, what are you writing now? And they go, I don't really have time at the moment. And I once said to someone, if you came up to me and said, I plan to play a concerto at Carnegie Hall one day and I'd say how many hours a day do you practice and they go well I don't have time to practice I wouldn't believe you and, you know <laughs> right, right. every time you write you learn a little bit more how to put words together 
and you learn how to create tension and how you learn to paint a scene with setting. So if you want to write, you just write. You, you don't even have to show it to anybody. You practice, practice in the first person, practice in the third person, all these things. Every time you do it, you get a little bit better. And then the other thing, if you are writing and you want to succeed as a writer, you have to be passionate about it. Don't ever write something, think, oh, my God, vampires are really in right now. I'm going to write a vampire story. Oh, yes. Great because if, if you are not, I mean, I love historicals. I love reading historicals. I love to be taken back to that past. And it's, uh, I think for me, every book I have written is a book I want to read, but it's not on a shelf. So I've had to put it on a shelf. You know, it's something that I, where I really want to spend my time. You're going to be maybe you're going to be a year with this, this place and these people. So you have to love them. You have to, oh, want, yes. to get, you have to want to get back to them every second. If you don't like your characters or your setting, it's going to show people, yes. people can tell, people can tell that you love your characters when they read the book. So, you know, that's just, no, yeah. That, yeah. That is all excellent advice. And it's absolutely true. And I, I say that as well. When I talk to writers who are trying to get started and I said you know you whatever project you pick you better be passionate about it because yeah, yeah. people can tell and also you're going to be with this project for a long, a long time, time. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah so um so I have one more question for you and actually two-part question and then if anyone I, I see one key question in the Q&A if anyone else has questions um please put them in the Q&A or the chat um so how can how best can people stay in touch with you on social media and then also if you're ready to discuss what you're working on now that would be great yeah so um i'm on social media pretty much all over um i'm mainly active on facebook um which i'm uh, my author page is well is respo in author so it's facebook.com slash respo in author all on word and um uh, yeah, I have 67,000 followers on there. So it's kind of amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, and then uh, I'm also on Instagram and, uh, and Twitter, but it's usually just a rehash of what I've said on Facebook. Um, also, I'm a member of a wonderful blog called Jungle Red Writers that you know about, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. um, there are several of us. Sure, we've got some mutual friends on there. Several, um, the, there are seven of us writers really Deborah Crombie, Hank Flippy Ryan, Hallie Efron, Julia Spencer Fleming, Jen McKinley, Roberta Isleb, and me. So, and we, there's a, a blog every day, and um, we take it in turns to host a week, and we have fabulous guests. So, that really keeps me connected with my world very well. And um, uh, you really enjoy the posts, are not, you know, just by my book. The posts are really interesting about why I hate, why I hate ironing. You know, that's one of the posts that get. <laughs> The most comments of anything I put, like 217 comments on why I hate ironing, you know, so <laughs> sometimes it really strikes a, a chord with other people. But um, it, it, that's that's a fun thing. Um, and you ask what I'm what I'm working on now. I've just finished. I've just turned in the next big standalone. And um, it's, again, partly in World War Two, partly in Paris. It's. Um, but it was a very harrowing one to write because it's about a young woman who is dropped behind enemy lines in Paris to spy. And, oh, um, wow. okay. and about what happens to her. She, it takes place in Paris before the war and it takes place in Australia after the war. So it's a very um, big scope of a novel. And it's at the moment, this is the working title. I haven't been told that it's not. So it's called Island of Lost Boys. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And so when is the um, pub date for that? I don't know if we have a pub. I've, uh, my, my editor has been, um, uh, has had various crises happen this year. So um, things have been going more slowly than I, I think it was probably due out next August, but whether it will be later than that, I don't know. So that's, We've got, we'll probably fight over the title too, and it will probably come out, be, you know, <laughs> be the, 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 you know, the butcher's wife who lived in Paris and went to, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so a question from the audience, Mary Worthington asks, you're a very prolific writer. How long does it typically take to, for you to write a book from the beginning to the end? Um, it takes me about five months um you see I'm, wow. I'm not only a writer I'm also a crazy woman um I I was doing um I've written uh three mystery series the first one was called Constable Evans was set in contemporary Wales and okay. I did 10 books and then I stopped it and then I was doing a series with Molly Murphy who is um she's uh, an immigrant an Irish immigrant in New York in the early oh, 1900s yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I've been doing the Royal Spinus about the minor royal in the 30s. That's my sort of funny series. So I got to the stage where I couldn't do any more Molly Murphy books and write the big standalone. So I put that series on hold. So I was doing one Royal Spinus and one of the standalones each year. Mm -hmm. And then my daughter came to me and said, I think I'd like to resurrect the Molly Murphy series with you. Oh, wow. and, of course, and of course, the 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 publishers went, yeah, yes, please. <laughs> um, so um, we start she and I started writing the work. We just finished book three together. Um, wow. But that means it's an extra half a book per year for me. So I'm doing two and a half books a year, which really is pushing it a lot. So what I'm hoping is to do a couple more books with my daughter and each book gradually step back some more so she can take the series then and run with it, you know, and I can just be the guiding light behind it. But um, it, it's pretty much, I I have to get through a first draft in about three to four months so that I have time to go through and edit it, which really means that I write every day. So, you know, that's, that's what I do. Amazing. That That is, that's an amazing schedule. You are very prolific. I know. It's very I, impressive. I know. I keep trying, I keep trying to slow down saying, maybe I won't do a book next year. And then <laughs> the publisher goes, no, 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 no. So, you know. <laughs> um, so what's it like? And a reminder, you can put questions in the chat or you can put questions in the Q&A. What was it like writing with your daughter? My daughter, my younger daughter um, is an excellent writer and loves to write. And I, how is that as a process? Was that delightful? Was it hard? I, I... Well, you know, when she came to me, I was a little ambivalent because, you know, she's my daughter and I love her. And I thought, well, what if this doesn't work out? What if I have to say to her, I, I'm really sorry, but this is just isn't going to work. It would put this sort of wedge between us. But I knew she was a good writer. Um, I was amazed. She just came in. She hit the ground running. She had the idea for the first book we did together. And she'd say, well, I really I can really picture the party scene. So I'll take that. And um, and then we would do like alternate scenes and then each go and edit each other's scenes. So it flowed smoothly. And I can't tell you now which bits she wrote and which bits I wrote, which is really, uh, you know, a compliment to her. It and really this, is. And this latest one, we we were getting near the end. And I said, you know, we need to finish this because um, I need to start on my next 
the Royal Spiders book I need to start on. And she said, oh, don't worry, I've got I've got the ending now. I know where we're going. And wow. um, so, you know, it's great. She will. And she's already come up with a great idea for her own series, which I hope they'll accept. And um, so it's great that she's, you know, I've been able to get her start. I said to her, you know, I have to tell you, most new writers don't come in at this level. So, you know, you're not normally going to get a review in X, Y and Z, you know. So Yeah, yeah. But- uh, Sounds like she's earned it. That's that's yeah. wonderful, though. What a, like, what a treat that, you know, it worked out so well with your yeah. daughter. No, I'm really thrilled for her because I know she's a good writer. And often if you're, you know, as you know, when you want to start off and you're floundering in the darkness, sometimes you have a lucky break, but often you don't know really where to start. So, you know, she's she's started in a really good place. Excellent. I love that. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, Christine Mott, who is I don't think she's ever missed a historical happy hour. It says, sorry, I was late. I love this author. Thank you, Jane. Um, and she and Patricia Sands, who's lovely and amazing. Oh, I, know, I know her well, yes. Yeah, hi, yeah. Hi, Patricia. Yeah. Hi, Patricia. You've answered all my questions. Thanks. I'm looking forward to reading Where the Spy Begins and just wanted to say hello to you both. I'm such a fan. Thank you for this lovely chat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Christine Mott asks, um, is there another author that you would consider co-writing with or have you ever done that before? That's a good question. Oh, yeah. Um, I I have lots of authors who are close friends. Um, I don't think I could. I mean, when I think about them, you know, my closest friends, Louise Penny, Deborah Crombie, Jacqueline Winspear, Cara Black, they're all so different from me in their styles. I think. Very. Yeah. We, we would have a real clash of styles. I mean, <laughs> the, the thing with Claire is that she was a good writer but a blank canvas as far as me saying this is what you know this is that this is that the overall picture um, yeah, yeah you know I, so I've got really a willing apprentice rather than someone who comes in with their own style and their own everything so um uh, no I can't imagine writing with another author at the moment I, I'm not taking on any more projects <laughs> I know, that's, I think no, no, no 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 you have enough on your plate <laughs> I do need enough time just to breathe in between these books Exactly, exactly. I did want to say too, um, to everyone, I Jungle Red Writers is a great community and the authors on that group are so amazing. And when my first debut baby novel, the Saturday Evening Girls Club came out, you yeah. you, were, you were kind enough to let me be a guest host one time. And I was like, yeah, yeah. so thrilled because yeah. everyone was so welcoming and the community there is so lovely. And, um, yeah. and so thank you for that. That was oh, really... I mean, yeah. that's, that's the fun thing about Jungle Reds is we get to meet so many new authors that we wouldn't have read otherwise. And um, and just such a broad spectrum, you know, ranging yes. from historical to dark thriller to to cozy. You know, we we really um, uh, it's great. Yeah, so great. Um, it's actually kept my sanity throughout the COVID. You know, when we were locked down we jungle reds talk to each other each day so you know there are are people out there i can talk to it's a a very nice nice thing it is very nice um oh mindy who is always also visits uh, um on the webinars on the happy hours says hi jane nice to meet you reese thank you for the lovely discussion um and uh, so i have one final question and then i think we can wrap it up um but oh wait there's a couple more um Debbie McBride, do either of you ever think about writing a book on modern day events? Why don't you take that one first, Reese? Um, yeah, yes, I mean, yes, I do. Um, 
really modern events, I don't think I'd want to touch at the moment because the world's in such a dark place. I think it's one of the reasons I write about World War II because I see the similarities. And, yeah. you know, um, I want to say, you know, this is not, we're not going in a good direction here. Look what happened in World War II. Um, so, you know, we've got Ukraine and things. I th so I don't think I'd want to dwell in that modern darkness. Uh, you know, I have written, uh, the Venice sketchbook has dual timelines, which I really like doing. And um, uh, one of those takes place at the time of 9-11. So I did tackle that. That's as close to modern as I've got recently. So I think I'll probably stay happily in the past. I mean, I like writing about the 1930s because you, especially Britain, you've got, um, you know, you've got all those stories with the Prince of Wales and Mrs. Simpson and Noel Coward. And oh, the, yes. You know, lots <laughs> of fun people. And also you've got that foreshadowing that, I mean, they don't know but I know what's going to happen. I know World War II is coming. So when I write about them saying these silly things, I think you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it's um, so it's, it's kind of interesting in a way to say to people, look, they didn't, they poo pooed the idea that Hitler could be get dangerous at this time. Just, okay, pay attention now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's funny when I was reading where the sky begins too, I was thinking, and she lost everything. I was thinking of these Ukrainian refugees. Ukrainian, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, you know, I, it hadn't happened when I wrote the book and then when the book first came out and I was doing all these interviews, you know, you can't help but draw these parallels. So this is what these yeah. people are doing. And you showed the same thing, the utter resilience of these people in Ukraine. When you talk to them, they're, they're defiant, they're hopeful, they're brave. Um, yes. that's, what, that's what they were in World War II. So it's been a wonderful, um, a wonderful parallel. Yeah, the parallels. Yeah, that, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw her, like when she had lost everything and yeah. was at the convent and yeah, yeah. didn't know where to go. Yeah. And yeah. Amazing. Um, I want to thank Marsha Dusing and Mandy Eisenbaum. They're also here almost every month. Um, Mandy says, thanks for another great chat. Reese, you are delightful. I can't wait to read more of your books. So oh, thank sweet. You. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and Marsha says I she has just done a big research trip to Israel and told my husband I could never be an author. I admire you both for your willingness to work so hard. Thank you, Marsha. That's lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so thank you for this lovely chat. I won't keep any more of your time. I know you're very busy with everything you have going on. I, I, it's been yeah. an honor because I'm such a fan to well, chat. With well, you. Thank you for inviting me. And you must come back and be on Jungle Red again. We look I would to love you. to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And please tell, say hello to all those lovely ladies. They're yes, so I great. I will, yes. All right. Well, thank thank you. you. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you again. Yes. Take Bye. care, Reese. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for coming.